Right. That's how you learn anything. Piano. Yeah. You sit down at the piano and you play every day for 30 minutes. And some days are great, right? It feels like magic and it just flows. And then other days are sticky and you can't get the rhythm. And that's life. And I don't want to downgrade a kid for working through a process that I know is messy and sticky. everybody um welcome to welcome to the broken copier liz and dr lucy park thank you so much for coming on today thanks for having thank us you. um so liz you're an unofficial friend of the pod uh we did an interview about your sister gwen uh, a little while ago and then after that we had a conversation about another passion of yours which is Sijo poetry. And this is really exciting. I get to talk to you about another book of yours today. So th um, yeah, congratulations on the book. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so people are often like Korean poetry, you Liz, like, do, do you speak Korean? And no, I don't, mm -hmm. but I have fallen in love with the, this Korean poetic form and I've shared it with my students and had so much just success with it that I want other educators to know about this poetry form and how accessible it is and how just students really resonate with it. That's yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for this. And Dr. Park, you were just mentioning an award that you got with this, with your book. I've got it right here. So I'm very, but can you tell us about the award? Yeah, so we received uh, Franklin Buchanan Award from uh, the Association for Asian Studies. This is an international organization for scholars who are uh, studying Asian uh, the scholarly work. So we were really honored and proud of that prize. That's fantastic. Congratulations to both of you. I'm, uh, this is a fantastic book. I've been coming back to it, Liz, ever since you sent it to me, and it's it's been really uh, just exciting. And and I think well, let's start. Let's just start with some introductions and background. Um, Liz, let's start with you. People are going to be a little bit familiar with you, with who you are, but tell us again about your teaching, what you're teaching now, and and your orientation towards Sijo poetry. Yeah, I've been teaching high school English for 18 years, and I specialize in the writing courses, so creative writing, composition, advanced composition, journalism, college strategies. I've taught a whole bunch of different things. Um, and everything that I do in my classroom, I try to have an authentic purpose for. So we practice what it means to be a professional writer. So we write things mm -hmm. and then we send it off to writer's markets. And the hope is that they leave my class an award-winning or a published author. And so I'm always looking for these opportunities for my students. And that's how I stumbled upon Shijo. There was a mm -hmm. Shijo competition for, for kids. And this was maybe, I don't know, 10 plus years ago. And I knew nothing at that time about the Shijo form. But the Shijong Cultural Society, the organization that was running this Shijo competition, had a whole bunch of resources on their website. And so I just looked at them and kind of just taught myself the form using those resources and encouraged my students to write poems and then submit them. Um, and then Dr. Park, a few years later, reached out to me and just said, you know, we noticed that you've had some success with your students. What are you doing? 
And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, really, I, I don't have much confidence in, mm-hmm. um, you know, can you, can you help me? And so Dr. Park came out and they did some recording of my classes and we just continued to uh, find ways to share Shijo with other educators. That's, I mean, making it up as you go along is, is I think, a tale as old as time as far as English teachers are concerned. But the kids, they like that, right? When oh, yeah. When you say to them, I just found this. Let's learn it together. Let's investigate. Let's see if we can figure this out. And just, you know, being very open with, I don't have all the answers. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's great. Um, and Dr. Park, can you tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you're teaching now? Well, uh, I'm the executive director of Saison Cultural Society. So we started in 2004. And our the mission is introducing Korean culture to uh, the American youth. At the time, we tried to introduce some musical, uh, the classical music with a Korean theme. And then we thought that uh, writing is a very important skill for youngsters. So we started out mm-hmm. with essay competition. And uh, we have a planning committee who are like professors of creative writing. And uh, they suggested uh, some the reading Korean literature and then introduced me to English Shijo. So I grew up in uh, Korea, so I know about the Shijo, but I never wrote Shijo. It didn't come to my mind. And then I met people who are writing Shijo in English. So I thought that is amazing. So we started Shijo competition with the help of uh, Professor Moken at Harvard University at the time. And then we thought, okay, let's teach uh, teachers how to teach Shijo at their school classroom so many students can learn this amazing form. So this is very short format, and um, we thought that it could be really stimulating for students how to condense their idea in uh, this short poem. So we started uh, teacher education uh, since about 2008. So we had a season workshop and um, uh, we developed many teaching material. So all those teaching material we put on our website. But when I met the teachers, they said, do you have a book? So I said, go to our website, resource page, everything is there. And then they still turn around and say, I wish you had a book. book. (laughs) So especially English teachers love books, right? So finally, finally, I said, okay, we'll have to put together the book. And the COVID uh, lockdown came. So uh, finally, I was able to sit down with Liz and uh, we finished the book. So it took a long time putting together. But still, a lot of Mm -hmm. materials in the book is on our website. Yeah, I um, I highly recommend this book from for any teachers who are listening. I'll definitely link it in the notes, but this is called uh, Shijo, Korea's Poetry Form, edited by Lucy Park and Elizabeth Jorgensen. Um, so let's let's talk about this a little bit. I, let's start because after my first interview with Liz, you you mentioned, hey, have you heard of Shijo? And I said, no, I don't know anything about it. So 
for people like me who were who were in that spot, can you give us um, an overview of 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 overview of the form and a little bit of how the form works so that people can understand what they're getting into? Yes, yeah, Shizu is sure. from Korea. Uh, it has a history of more than seven hundred years. So the first written the Shizu in the uh, on the record. Is seven hundred years old, so we think it was uh, present uh, several hundred years before then. So <clears throat> the first written shijo precedes haiku. I tell them that it's divided by theme and also by syllables. So every line in the shijo poem has a purpose. Line one is the introduction. Line two is the development, and then line three is the twist. And then the conclusion. And so we spend some time talking about twists. Like, what does that mean to them? What what could you do with a twist? And I'll often ask, like, give me, give me a movie with a good twist. And then they'll talk about it. Or what about a song? Do you, have you ever heard a song that has, like, a twist in it? And they'll, they'll give me some examples. Um, and then I'll challenge them to think of what else twists could be. A turn. A shift. A joke play on words, right? There's like uh, just a, a plethora of options that they could do with the twist, but every Shijo poem should have a twist and it should be at the start of the third line. And then beyond having the number of syllables in every line, there are these groups of syllables. And so we think of it almost like a formula and I'll put the groups of syllables on the board. So the first line has a group of three syllables followed by a group of four, four, four. And we'll talk about well, what does that mean, a group of syllables? Like how, how do we know when one group stops and another group begins? How do we visually see it? How do we feel it? Where's this pacing, the rhythm, the beat? Um, and so there's each line has a purpose and then each line has the real specific syllable groupings. Uh, three, four, 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 three, four, 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 three, five, four, three. Okay. Did it, uh, did I is that a good quiz for your your reading? Yeah, book, that, yeah, that's that's a good that's definitely a good quiz, and I would I would encourage uh, folks to just read a couple poems because um, I think that's the easiest way to understand the format. Um, but yeah, this is this is great, and it's I think what stands out to me is it seems like a very accessible form of poetry, and the poetry itself it's it's originally, am I right? It was originally like very musical and meant to be accompanied with music. And a lot of my students, I'm probably not the only teacher who has a lot of students who are fascinated with Korean culture. Um, a lot of my students are very into K-pop right now. Um, so I think there's a lot of really accessible, fun parallels um, that are that students can immediately latch on to. And just like you said, the more you read, the more you just realize, oh, it is an accessible form. And I tell the students that, you know, when I'm introducing it, it's just hang with me, you'll, you'll get it. It's, it's a little bit more advanced maybe than haiku, but we're, we'll get there together. And they read them and they just, they get it. So we were talking a little bit about the history of poetry and the, and the musical origins of the poetry. And I, I didn't know, maybe Lucy, if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so Shizu is uh, one of the uh, Korean traditional musical genre. So uh, traditionally, they sang Shizu. So, um, so in the old days, uh, instead of writing, they just uh, sang the Shizu with accompaniment of either percussion instrument or some uh, the wind instrument. Uh, 
And many times they just uh, sang impromptu sijo. And instead of having conversation like, hey, Jim, how are you doing? They would just uh, sing sijo to convey the, their question. And then the other one would answer back by singing sijo. So this is um, frequently done in high society uh, level. But uh, even in the lower, uh, the commoners' uh, party, they used to do that for fun. There are many of uh, the shijo with humor. Uh, it's very uh, funny. Um, also, the many shijos are about love, but uh, politicians made a political statement with shijo too. So some shijo may be uh, like a, on the surface, it looks like it's describing nature or something, but behind uh, there is a deep meaning about the political uh, uh, statement. I really wish that our current political discourse was one of lyrical poetry rather than uh, sniping tweets, which seems to be, that's, that's really amazing. And it was just impromptu improvisation singing to each other. Uh, that was uh, the old days. Apparently, they could do that impromptu. I was never <laughs> like that. I have to edit my sijo, you know, dozen times, a hundred times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. some people have talent to just write sijo impromptu like that. That's amazing. Um, I think it's probably going to be hard if we're talking about this form to pick out a favorite poem, but like, are what I feel like a good place to start and opening up the conversation is like, what are some of the first or poems that have really stayed with you, um, and the stories of those of those poems? Um, the I mean, I I hesitate to use the word favorite, but if that's helpful, you can like some favorite poems that really stood out to you. So the um, there are some. If you go to our website, we have Shijo examples from mm -hmm. the the old uh, the Shijo masters poem, as well as contemporary Shijo poets uh, poem. Um, so this is contemporary Shijo uh, poet um, was living at the beginning of twentieth century. Up above the simmering sea, two or three seagulls are hovering, rolling, wheeling. They write poem. I do not know the alphabet they use. On the broad expanse of sky, I will write a poem too. So he is uh, the pioneer of modern shijo. So shijo started a long time ago and uh, at the beginning of 20th century, there was a revival with some contemporary feelings and wording, and this is one of them. Liz, what That's is beautiful. your favorite? Yeah. I, you know, I feel like I look back at a bunch of different poems, and every time I'm like, oh my gosh, I love that one, and I love that one, and I love that one, and of course, you know, love different ones for different reasons. Um, 
I tried to get my department, my English teachers, to all write Shijo. And I said at one department meeting, you know, here's what the form is. Wouldn't it be cool if we as a department wrote poems together? And what do you think they said, Jim? Uh, they said, um, I think they said, I don't know, Liz, I'm pretty busy. But yes, if, exactly. If you want me to do it, maybe I'll, maybe you got a couple people to like do it as a favor to you. That'd be my guess. That's exactly it. I have a really good friend <laughs> who said, "Liz, I'll do it with you." And so, yep. um, my good friend Terry Carnell, she wrote a Shijo poem, and she ended up sending it off to the Shijong Cultural Society's competition. And surprise, surprise, she took second place. All right, and seven hundred and fifty dollars she there won for her poem. And then we come back to the department meeting and we say, "Guess what? Terry just won." And then everyone in the and department all, says, all, "Okay, I'll do it." it. I should have yes, done it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So here's, um, of course, it's it's my favorite because of the backstory, because yes. I know her. Um, but here is her poem. I needed a break, or so I thought, the day that school shut down. Teaching from my couch, my kitchen, my home meant work never stopped. Who'd have thought going back to school would give me the break I need? Man, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like that speaks really to the soul of a lot of the teachers who who did what we did. That's amazing. Yes. And Terry did some cool things, too. If you see the poem, you know, she started with I needed a break. And then at the end, her ending phrase is break I need. Right. So Mm -hmm. she's tying the end back to the beginning. She's got the third line as a question, which I really like. It's it's easy to understand. We just hear it. We read it and we get it. Um, But it also, like you said, it resonates with us. It evokes that emotion that that we can feel. Which is what good poetry is supposed to do. Can I write one more? This is a winner. Yeah. The. Roberto Santos uh, was the winner of 2013, uh, our competition, Sejong Writing Competition. He was a 12th grader who lived in uh, Larido. uh, And uh, the title is Still American. They say go, return to land that I don't know. It makes no sense. Born and raised American. So Mexico is still foreign. Culture kept. But this is my home. Immigrant? No, Hispanic. So uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, we asked winners to write winners' statement and a brief bio. And he said he just wrote down what he felt all his life. And it is amazing to uh, get the, become the winner and get the cash prize. This, and if yeah. you're talking about... Yeah. Looking at form, he perfectly kept with the syllable groupings. And so that might be one as well that you could start with, with your students, just saying like, we get it, it's clear, it's emotional, but it's also really clearly a shijo because it fits with the structure. Yeah. I, yeah, there's, I feel like we could spend a long time just reading some of these poems because they're, they're very beautiful. Um, one of the stories that really grabbed me was right in the at the beginning. This story in the 14th century, um, you write one of the mel- one of the most well known of all shijo is ascribed to, is it Goreo? Goryeo, yeah, Goryeo. It's a kingdom, yeah. <laughs> uh, scholar, official, and statesman Zhang Mongju 
Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I wonder if you could tell a little bit. I mean, we could, I'll, I'll read the poem. Maybe it's yeah. my turn to read the poem. Okay. I'll read this and then maybe you could tell the backstory because I think that's just a really uh, interesting story that people would like to hear. So um, this is Song of a Loyal Heart. That's right. That's the big, that's the most famous one or one of the most famous ones. Yes. Okay. So here it goes. Through this body, die and die, it may die a hundred times. My white bones become but dust, what's called soul, exist or not. For my Lord, no piece of this red heart would ever change. How could it? And this is a beautiful poem, but it's very powerful in the context of the story. And I didn't know, Lucy, if you could talk a little bit about the backstory and why this is such a famous poem. Yeah, so that was the end of Goryeo dynasty. The there was so much corruption, and the people were very poor. So the it was very unstable. So uh, the uh, the group who tried to uh, do kuteta uh, went to Jong Mongju. Jong Mongju was the prime minister of Goryeo dynasty. So uh, the group that uh, who uh, followed that uh, Goryeo dynasty is Yi dynasty. So uh, the third son of that person, Yi Songye's uh, son, went to Jong Mongju and said, "Why don't you join us uh, in this coup d'état and uh, let's uh, set up a new dynasty and uh, you know um, make things better." And then Jong Mongju said, no, my loyalty with the current king, so I will not join you. So I, I, I told you about this singing Shijo poems uh, like a conversation. So that was his answer to the mm-hmm. other Shijo, uh, which was written by uh, the son of the, the next uh, dynasty uh, founder. Did, are you reading uh, from the book? Then maybe you can see the yes yes yeah so the the first shijo that was uh, read to or sung to Zhang Mongju uh, yes would you read that too <laughs> uh, the first one yeah I wonder if I can find it oh uh, it's just simple I don't have that with me uh. There's another one in this section, but I don't think it's the one you're referencing. Uh, yeah, it'll take a while to find that. So um, it says, what does it matter? Uh, matter? So let's live like intertwined together. Um, so it was like a conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, it may take me a little bit to flip through to find the, the, the one that he was responding to, but I think it's, I think it's a really, um, I was just struck by this use of poetry. Oh, do you have it? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So, um, what difference does it make this way or that the tangled vines of Mansu mountain in profusion grow entwined. 
we too could be like that and live together a hundred years. So uh, it was written by Iban Wan. So Iban Wan was a third king of the next dynasty, Yi dynasty. So in response to that uh, poem, the Zhong Mongju read that. So, mm-hmm. you know, basically he refused. So, and then he went home. So on the way home, the assassin was waiting and then they killed Zhong Mongju. So they were able to complete the coup d'etat and then establish the next dynasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's such a, like you have everything. You have betrayal, intrigue, loyalty, violence. Um, it's It was a very fascinating uh, story and history to read. So these two poems, um, I think was most of the Koreans <laughs> knows, even if they cannot recite exactly. But yeah. Everybody knows these poems. Okay. Well, I think um, it would be great to transition a little bit into classroom, some, like classroom connections and how if teachers are listening and perhaps thinking of using Shijo in their, in their own classrooms. Um, Liz, I wanted, I read in your chapter, you talk a lot and you mentioned this earlier, this idea of saying to your students, I want you to become an award-winning published author. Um, and I, I love this so much for a lot of reasons, but can you talk a little bit about why that's such an important part of the writing classroom? Well, why do we write? You know, what's the point of it? Uh, We have something to say. We want to share our voice with the world. We want to connect with other people. The point of writing is not to earn a grade. Like, Mm -hmm. I am not here to grade. And that it's like this, this shift. And so many students, I think they come to class with the mindset of I'm only here to earn an A or to give me a C, like whatever. And I want to pull that out and say, that's not why we're here. We're not here Mm -hmm. to worry about grades. We're here to worry about writing. And -hmm. we're trying to get our writing to be the best we can together. I'm on your team. I'm trying to point out all the places where maybe we have an opportunity to be clearer or to play with language or to evoke an emotion. And not to downgrade you, but to achieve our shared goal, which is publication or awards. Um, and so that, that can be a real shift for, I think, some of the grade grubbing students or the mm-hmm. overachieving students. They're, wait, so what do I have to do to get an A? And it's like, I, I don't want to talk about that. I just want to talk about the work. Like, why did you decide to write about this topic? Or show me your, your previous draft and the changes that you made. Or point out the point that you're not happy with and let's talk about what some other options might be for that section. Um, it, you know, I think it that's really the genesis for me is I don't want to talk about grades. I want to talk about the work. And so giving us authenticity in terms of our purpose allows us to do that. It gives us the structure. Yeah. I think that really, that's really important for me <laughs> for me to hear. Cause I, I read your chapter and I was like, Oh yeah, I am not, I'm not doing this enough. I'm not framing writing as the, and the purpose of writing to be about communication. And we have this, I, I do like a, a weekly connection journal um, and students do it and it's very successful. And it's mostly just a personal open response to whatever text we're reading. And I have a lot of students who write really beautiful stories and connections about 
their home lives and their jobs and connections to other class classes. And they're just really reluctant to, to read those and share those with other people. Um, but I feel like this type of approach with Shijo or, or even other poetry, it can sort of break down that reluctance and cause you have to be pretty vulnerable as a writer. And I, I oh. think that's the big thing. And they're still reluctant. Like no, nobody in my classroom is like, please, please put my poem mm-hmm. on the board. But I right. start out early in the semester saying the expectation is that we're a team. We're working together. And so in order to work together, we're going to be vulnerable. We're going to share and to put, to develop ways to give feedback. That's not a criticism of them, mm-hmm. but, th- and to take feedback as neutral data. So if somebody reads your poem and says, I don't get it, well, listen to them. Ask a question. What didn't you get? Or, you know, if one person says they don't get it, but five other people say they do, well, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, ultimately mm-hmm. you're you're the artist and you have the choice. And I also tell them that it gets easier, right? The more we share, the more comfortable you'll be. It's never going to be your favorite thing. Our final exam, we, we write some poems and we share them and the kids still don't love it, but it's mm-hmm. easier. And I think that that's, you know, it's a good lesson for life too, that we put ourselves in these uncomfortable situations, although we don't enjoy them, we learn from them, we grow and it makes other experiences uh, just, we, we, we've done it before, right? So I, I know right. I can do it again. Right. How could you get a little bit more specific for how that type of peer-to-peer editing and feedback works? I mean, there's a lot in the book about the ideas of writing communities and building a writer's workshop. What are the types of things that you found successful, if not like 100%? How, like, how do you frame and what are the tools that you use for some of those peer editing workshops that allow students to open up and be a little bit more vulnerable? Um, at the beginning, we'll just do like a topic brainstorm and I'll ask every kid to just come up with some ideas and, you know, like write four or five ideas in your journal and not even worrying about the Shijo form at this point. Just write in sentences. My story is going to be about a little kid who travels to the moon and the twist is going to be that he actually ends up on the sun. I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the kids will like write a bunch of ideas and then I'll just say, OK, let's go around the room and everyone share an idea that, that they're excited about. And so then we hear 30 plus ideas and then I'll say, okay, you just heard some ideas that made you think of something else. Add those to your journal, right? So then we're, we're, we're trying to capitalize on each other and not saying, oh, your idea is terrible, but just here are ideas and celebrating that. Um, then for, in terms of peer editing, I have never had success with saying peer edit, Mm-hmm. nothing happens, yeah, right? No, and yeah. so I have a peer editing worksheet where I ask the kids to move step-by-step step through the poem. And it also directs the kids to converse with each other. So you count the syllables and then turn to your partner and tell your partner <laughs> what syllables you counted. And if there's a discrepancy, work through it or ask Miss Jorgensen to, to break the tie or explain who's right. Um, and so the kids, you know, they do a really good job at following through the worksheet and the guided questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we have poems that have been peer edited using this worksheet, then I'll tell the kids, okay, you all have a couple of poems that you're working on. We can only send one to this Shijo competition. So let's see what the collective thinks. Let's imagine we are the judges. And so I create a Google slideshow 
Mm-hmm. And every kid has a slide and they put on that slideshow as many poems as they want to share. I'll say minimally two, but many kids will put on like three or four, which is fine. Right. And then they just read their poem and we read it a couple of times because as we know, right, hearing a poem once, you just, you need to hear it more than that. So they'll read the poem a couple of times and then I'll say, okay, you're the judge. And those are the four poems that you have to choose from. Raise your hand if you're voting for one. Raise your hand if you're voting for two, for three or four. And we just tally them up and then we talk. And I'll say to the the student, the author, the poet, is that what you thought? Did mm-hmm. you think poem three was going to sweep? And then we'll we'll have this dialogue of, no, I had no idea that you guys would love that poem. And then the kids are like, well, that poem's great because X, Y, and mm-hmm. Z. And so that will build in this, you know, it just, it builds a discussion. And there too, we're not saying that poem one, and four were bad. We're just saying if we were the judge, that's when we would vote for. And talking about the subjective nature of art and poetry, like there's mm-hmm. not a right or a wrong and we can never predict which poem the judge is going to choose. Like never once have I said that kid's has a winning poem and then it, it turns up on the winner's list, but the, the kids get a lot of, out of the exercise. That's great. Dr. Park, you've worked with a lot of teachers, it seems like, uh, implementing Shijo and bringing Shijo into their classrooms. What are What is your advice to teachers who might be interested in this or building out some, uh, bringing this into their school? So many students are familiar with haiku. So some teachers, um, <clears throat> they start with uh, haiku. You've written haiku before. So can we make it uh, like a stretch into 45 syllables? Mm. So that was one uh, of the idea. But uh, the other uh, teachers said, I mean, this is a very good practice of uh, developing concise statement, making concise statements. So uh, think about something you want to say. And they keep compressing, compressing to very concise <clears throat> the statement. Uh, so there are many different approaches. So that's why we included five different teaching plans in this book. So mm-hmm. yes, having this book will be very uh, helpful. Yeah. And also we I- have videotapes on our YouTube channel. Then you can watch these uh, teaching her students and uh, three other teachers, uh, high school teachers teaching their class. So we recorded entire class and some some classes we did a follow-up class uh, also recording. And then Liz uh, taught uh, third graders and that was amazing because after like uh, 60 minutes, they all wrote Shijo and then read it. Uh, so yeah, watching those videos on our YouTube channel will be very helpful. And then there are lectures by Professor McCann uh, from Harvard University and Professor Peterson from Brigham Young University. So that would be a good uh, starting point. Okay. I think it's, re- I'm really interested in, in, Liz, you were talking a little bit about this. Like, how do you, how do, how do you grade this? I mean, as teachers, we're sort of responsible for grading and I teach these AP classes and it's all like, is this standards aligned and what's the assessment? And a lot of that in, I've really struggled with that um, because it can remove the authenticity um, and why. We, so, yeah, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about how do we approach 
building a unit like this, either it's whether Shijo poetry or just other types of creative writing in a way that like you put, you end up putting some grades in, but making sure that students feel supported and like they get quality feedback. That's not about like punitive really, I think is the word. Yeah. This is also a long story. Um, are you familiar with process-based assessment? Um, I, I know about it a little bit. Okay. Yeah. That's what I do. Um, yeah, okay. So I focus only on the process, never mm-hmm. on the, the product. Um, and so kids get, it's basically a one or a zero, a point or a no point for working through the process. So today mm-hmm. everyone's going to share their story ideas from their journal. You do that, you get a point. You don't, you don't get a point. We're never going mm-hmm. back. I'm never giving you makeup points. There's no way to recreate that experience. It's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the expectation is that you're present, you're engaged, you're participating, you're part of our community. Um, and then the same thing, right? Peer editing, you did your form, you get your one, you didn't, mm-hmm. you get your zero. Um, and so just moving along, valuing the process and also knowing that there's this, uh, when we work at something every day, that work accumulates. And then we see these huge gains. If we just focus on doing all of the little things, right? If we show up today and we write draft one, and then we come in tomorrow and we write draft two, we're going to see great results, but we don't have to focus on that if we focus on the process. And so that's, mm-hmm. I mean, I I will not put up a grade on a poem in terms of like a B or a C. I just think of how many kids write about you know, a family trauma that's going on or mm-hmm. a struggle with an eating disorder. And how could I ever put a B minus or right. you know, some grade on that? It's their art. It's their expression. And so by focusing on the process, I found that kids are more willing to take a risk. They're more vulnerable. They're more open. Um, they know I'm not going to downgrade them. If they put something down, they get an A plus. Yeah. And how, how wonderful is that? Yeah, I think it resonates a lot with me because we are in, I mean, Marcus and I right now are kind of on the podcast. We're in this conversation around grading and mastery-based grading, which is very much focused on the idea of we're going to give you a grade based on the quality of your final project and have you mastered these standards. Um, But it can feel very, it can feel really antithetical to the whole idea of um, building a community and also like taking a risk. Like, are you, are you taking a risk to put yourself out there creatively? Um, and am I going to build Shijo experts, Shijo masters in 40 right. classes in a semester? Like uh, uh, mastery, yeah, exactly. mastery, yeah. like it's yeah. just, uh, no, what I want to build is lifelong poets. Mm-hmm. I want to build kids who find pleasure in writing and reading. Yeah. I I agree. I think it's, I feel like I want to just go back to my syllabus and completely revamp how I approach. I mean, with my particular content, it's, it's more analytical. Um, but yeah, I just believe really deeply in this type of writing community. I was a creative writing major and that's my, my professors in college. It was all about, are you putting up pages for a workshop and participating. And that's, that's how I got better. I don't know. Right. That's how you learn anything. Piano. You sit down at the piano and you play every day for 30 minutes and some days are great, right? It feels like magic and it just flows. And then other days are sticky and you can't get the rhythm. And 
that's life. And I don't want to downgrade a kid for working through a process that I know is messy and sticky. Mm-hmm. So related to that is uh, like it's judging the sijo and then uh, just choosing the winner is very subjective. So just participation is important, right? So uh, the judges, we have three judges. They like this sijo, but Liz mm. may not like that, or I may not like that. You know, so we often say, why did they choose this one? I like this one mm. better who didn't get the prize. So, yeah, so just uh, having written a sijo, that uh, should be important. And we have many teachers, they uh, encourage the student to submit the sijo. So we send the email to the teachers, like your student so-and-so submitted this sijo and here is uh, his sijo. So uh, they apparently give some kind of credit for participation in this competition. That's right. So yeah. part of the expectation is that you not only write your poem, but you submit it to the competition and that also earns a process point. Yeah, so mm-hmm. the process of not just writing shijo, but they have to do extra step. They go to our website and put it up, <laughs> all the application form, and they upload shijo. So there is extra step that is a learning process for the students. Right, yeah. following directions, paying attention to details. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. And, and kids need to know how to f- do that stuff and follow through that. I think, um, yeah, I'm really, really interested in this idea of process-based grading, even even for more analytical work. Like when I am thinking of rhetorical analysis essays for students, like I, you don't have to write about, you know, the appeals to ethos in this section. You could write about pathos. You could write about like what the argument seems there's yeah i think i think that makes a lot of sense for um especially for writing classrooms could um could we talk a little bit about some logistics for the competitions and how and where students can go to submit work and what those timelines are How, how does that stuff work so we have the two competitions. One is a Sejong writing competition we've been doing since 2004. And uh, the submission deadline is March 31st. And okay. a student go to our online uh, the submission portal. So they have to fill out their pers- uh, the, the demographic information and they upload a poem. So there is one chance and they can win $500 uh, for pre-college student if they are the winner. And then we have uh, another competition. It's called International Shijo Competition, which uh, the submission deadline is uh, September 30th. So the Sejong writing competition is open to the students in USA and Canada. And recently we got so many submissions from all over the world. So we made a different category. So American and Canadian students have two chances. They can Mm. submit to uh, two uh, competitions. So both the winners get $500. Okay. And the... Um, 
the domestic competition, there's a, not only a pre-college division, but also a adult division. And mm-hmm. so that's always fun for me when the kids are putting their poems on the slides, I'll do the same thing. I'll put up three mm-hmm. or four poems that I'm working on and saying, which one should I submit? Like I have no idea. And genuinely I don't yeah. like, I never know which ones the kids are going to choose. And then I'll say, you know, third hour, they voted so differently than you guys. Like who do, who do I go with? Um, and yeah. so it's nice for them to see that, their teachers are doing this alongside them. I'm not just asking you to be vulnerable and then I'm not doing it, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm there with you in the trenches. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, but okay. So before we close out, I need to, I'm going to brag a little bit. Now I can't, I want to make sure I find the poem, but I was reading in the end of this book, there's a section of just a collection of, of your favorite poems, right? Yeah. And Liz, you had a student who wrote a baseball poem. Oh yeah. Bryce Toussaint. Uh, Bryce. Okay. So Bryce, I'm trying to, I'm frantically trying to find this. Um, he wrote his poem. Here it is. Okay. The season that never comes um, about baseball. I, this was, this is such a high school poem. I love, this is like the essence of it. Uh, And it's baseball season, so I think this is fitting. So Bryce's poem is The Season That Never Comes. I lace up stiff metal cleats, jog yellow foul pole to foul pole, strap on rugged batting gloves, and take ground balls off the infield turf. But it's still minus four outside, 42 days till the first pitch. Hmm. And I am going to brag because I caught the Jackie Robinson reference. Nice. And I was like, I was like, 42, did he? And then I read your note about it and you confirmed that it was in fact a Jackie Robinson pitch. Uh, so it's so, it's a great, I thought, I thought that's a great example of like the exact kind of intentionality and creativity that um, makes these poems really fun and exciting for students. So, and Bryce, all yeah. he wanted to write about was baseball all year. Sure, great, go for it. Like I, sure. I learned a lot about baseball, and it's it's fun to see the kids, like you said, make these intentional plays on, mm-hmm. on things. Nice, that are just, well done, well done, uh, yeah, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> so it it's really really cool, and then to see this jock who had not had a lot of academic accolades place in this competition and now be featured in the book how how special that is for him for his family for our community right i think if teachers are a little bit hesitant to have students work outside of their classroom walls for me it's just been a positive experience. My school loves adding to their social media pages. So-and-so's poem is featured in this magazine or won this award. It's a really cool way to celebrate all of our students and not just the ones who typically get the, the cheers. Yeah. So related to that is I heard from several teachers that uh, the student who was never interested in literature or never written poem, they could write Shijo because it has a formula. So mm-hmm. if they are given blank page, they cannot write. But here is a formula that looks like mathematics. So particularly the science-oriented ones, they love it. They count the syllables. And then yeah. one good uh, the example is a teacher from Indiana. He said his uh, student was all interested in like hunting and sports. And then uh, he was so interested in this uh, form decision. So 
uh, he was supposed to write one shijo, but he wrote three. And then he started reading poems and even reading uh, the literature. So he said, this is amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. It changed uh, this student's life. What more can you ask for? That's that's what we're here for, right? Changing lives one at a time. <laughs> we can hope. Uh, we can hope. Um, well, Liz and Dr. Lucy Park, thank you guys so much for coming on and talking about Shijo. I'm really excited about this. Um, so you are welcome back anytime, and and I'll keep you updated on on my own process as well. <laughs> and I hope you're going to write and submit a Shijo poem. I okay. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. I love it. And just so um, teachers listening know as well, um, through the Shijong Cultural Society, we're offering a asynchronous teacher workshop. So if people want some structure, want to learn more about the form, please sign up for that. Um, It's free. And then you also can earn an honorarium as well as some free books. Um, And then in the summer, we're offering a synchronous teacher like webinar um, a few weeks in the summer and so if people are interested just check out the website there's some really cool opportunities that we'd love to have people join us absolutely i will yeah i'll make sure all that's linked and people know where to go um but yeah thank you both so much for coming on this was exciting and, and really fun thank you. thank you thank you the broken copier is an independent listener supported podcast for teachers The show is written, hosted, and produced by Marcus Luther and myself, Jim Mares. Thanks to Alberto Lugo, a former student of mine, for writing and producing original intro music. Born and raised in Brooklyn, Alberto is an independent DJ and music producer based in New York City. You can find his work on Instagram at DJSynchro and explore his portfolio at djsynchro.weebly.com. Thanks to Tom Chitari, a jazz musician, composer, and teacher based in Australia. Right now, you're listening to Woodstock from his album Garden, available on Spotify. You can stream all his music on Spotify under the name Uncivilized, on Instagram at BandUncivilized, and online at UncivilizedTom.com. You can even sign up for remote guitar lessons with Tom, just like I do. Thanks to my sister, Courtney Malavik, for the graphic design you see on our social media and episode posts. Thanks to Brandon Piasecki for helping to get this project off the ground. You can leave us an audio message at podinbox.com slash brokencopier. We might be able to respond and feature it in the next episode. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators, bring helpful analysis and collaboration, and celebrate everyone doing the hard work in the classroom. We hope to connect and direct time, resources, and energy towards concrete efforts that will improve student outcomes, especially in marginalized and underserved communities. We are not the only ones doing this. We want to honor and say thank you to the many educators out there, past, present, and future, who already understand their classroom practice through a lens of equity and change. We'd love to connect with you, hear about what you're doing, and give you a space to share your work. If you want to support the show, you can help us grow and connect for free. Reach out on social media at The Broken Copier, text an episode link to your friends in education, or even share an episode to your own social media feeds. You can email thoughts, feedback, and ideas to the broken copier at substack.com. You can also read other essays and thoughts on teaching at thebrokencopier.substack.com, where we publish all of our episodes available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.